This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And good morning, one and all. Frank Proctor here, the sous chef of the garden, looking in my mind, at least to the east, to Dobbin's domain in <laughs> Prince Edward County. Hi, good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frankie. How you doing? Uh, any better than it have to be twins. Well, okay. <laughs> maybe maybe that's overstating things just a little bit, but but fine. Looking forward to some interesting questions from our callers, and I All should right. get the old numbers on the oh, uh, on the air right. right away, huh? Get that done, because we uh, always forget. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. In Toronto, call 416-360-0740, and anywhere in the province, toll-free, 866 7444740 and please remember our little mantra call early call often and one question per call if you happen to be a first time caller let us know and just before you get to the airwaves uh, here you're going to get the uh, garden wings there you go the, the big bell yeah so uh listen uh it's harvest time at my house oh really oh shoot you know like i don't even have like a big vegetable garden i just i started like Three eggplant plants and four tomato plants. Like, we're talking, you know, minimal uh, agriculture uh-huh. here, but we're overwhelmed. We've got bushels of beans. We've got buckets of tomatoes. <laughs> we got eggplants coming out of our ears. Wow. We got kale. Oh, gosh. And just waiting on the peppers to turn red because they're all green still. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's been really good. It's been a good year with, with that nice heat way back in the spring when it was so dry, and then all that nice rain back in July. Now we're back into the sort of dry stuff. That's but right. we've got that heat, which is good for the vegetables. Yeah, uh, I just wonder, I started, you know, you, you advised me to get gardening, and it would help me <laughs> in many ways. So Shirley years. has has sent me on the uh, watering uh, detail. Uh-huh. You know, we got plants down the, uh, down the driveway there, so two-liter bottles we fill uh-huh. with water, of course, uh-huh. but... One just doesn't do it for me. You know, I've got to try and fill two at one time. And it, it never works out somehow. Holding one under my arm while unscrewing the cap and spraying um, another bottle to fill it up. And it always gets so that I wind up with wet feet. Don't, don't try those crazy things at home. I know. <laughs> anyway. But you know what? It does keep you cool. That's, I yeah. mean, that's, the last few days I've been out quite a bit just... You know, just staying on top of the weeds and, and yep. watering, like you say. And the getting wet part of the watering, I'm kind of enjoying that because it's keeping <laughs> me cool. <laughs> exactly. What what should folks be considered with right about now as we're into the first week of, of uh, August? Well, you know, this is the time when, like I said, it, it is really about the harvest. Um, people with herbs. You know, I've been mm-hmm. I've been cutting back my basil and making pesto, and some people will be cutting back some of their herbs to dry them to for you know to save them to use in the winter because that's one of the cool things about growing stuff that you can eat. You know, whether it's 
raspberries or strawberries or whatever it is by saving it and freezing it and having it in the dark days of January. It just transports you back to the garden in August. So, so certainly be looking at any of the things that you can be, you know, uh, harvesting and putting away for the future. Um, right now, I think a lot of it is kind of assessing our gardens and saying, well, like, for example, I planted bright, bright, they're called razzle-dazzle echinacea, so bright magenta pink, beautiful flowering plants right beside uh, little devil roses. Now, little devil roses are kind of an orangey red. <laughs> so I've got this bright pink and this orangey red, and I'm going to move something <laughs> in the, in September. Just, the color combination isn't working for me. Okay, uh, we are. I am glancing at the clock here, and we're just a little over time uh, on our break. So we better take that break and uh, then come back to welcome first time caller Yvette to the show here on Zoomer Radio. It is the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All right, Charlie, let's scamper out to, uh, well, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, Scarborough. Yeah, I knew I did that for a reason. Yvette <laughs> is on the line. First time caller. Good morning, Yvette. Uh, Good morning, wait, 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 Charlie, Kevin, the... and uh, Frankie. There you go. Thank you. Well, welcome to the show, Yvette. Thank you so much. What I would like to ask is, when did you harvest the herbs and the flowers? Early in the morning? Mm-hmm. And, ha- and how do you... Uh, dry them, then you dry them, after you dry them, put them in jars, in a paper bag, or in a plastic bag? Mm-hmm. Okay, good question. Um, definitely you want to harvest early in the day. Yes. Uh, early, early in the day, you're going to have your most flavor in your herbs. Uh, and so if you can get out there early, do so. Um, later in the day, they tend to be a little more bleached and parched and that sort of thing. What I do when I'm doing drying of herbs is I'll just make little, little tiny bundles, like maybe three or four stems of rosemary, as an example, tie them together with something like a dental floss, and then I just hang them upside down, just from a hanger, mm-hmm. run, you know, a couple little bundles uh, on a hanger, somewhere where they're going to be not in the sun, but um, they can be outside or inside, but not in the sun, and just somewhere where there's good air circulation until they dry down. And that can take a couple of days, even as much as a week, depending on what it is you're drying. Once they're dry, then they go into uh, and, and thoroughly dry. A jar is good. A plastic bag is good. Uh, and then, you know, into the kitchen, into the cupboard, somewhere where you can access them when you need them. Don't use a paper bag because you'll lose flavor through the, the paper bag. I see. Um, but, um, but, and, you know, some people that, that do a lot of dehydrating actually own a dehydrator. Like it's a little machine where you can lay, you know, put things into it and it just uh, sucks the water right out of whatever it is that you're, you're drying down. So there's, there's different ways to do it. Um, dried flowers, I know some of the big companies, they lay all the flowers out on screens. Screens that are up on like a like on, um, up above the ground, on uh, like on raised like tables. Pardon? Yeah, like it's almost like tables, but the screens mm-hmm. have to are just like big window screens, and then the air flows up and down through the screen, and they just dry down. It just takes a little bit of while, a little while, and but obviously always in the sh- in the shade, not in the sun, and good air is what you need. 
Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling. calling. Yeah, don't be a stranger, Yvette. Nice to (laughs) have you on the show. Uh, Charlie, we have a note here from a guy in uh, Dunkirk, New York, Joe Rosen, who says, Charlie, I love your show. Listen Saturdays when I can. Maybe you can help. I love zucchini. And every year I plant about a dozen hills, but I never get any zucchini. I tried fertilizers. I put the magical Epsom salts and powdered milk at the planting hole. I have beautiful plants, but no fruit. So far, I've had one zucchini, plenty of male flowers, nothing else. They say you run out of friends before you run out of zucchini. What am I doing wrong? (laughs) That's cute. Thanks, Joe. Okay. So, some suggestions. Because, you know what, that's not a totally unusual question. Some people this happens to pretty regularly. Because as he points out, you need both male and female flowers, and you need that that pollination to take place. So zucchinis are fairly susceptible to some pests. So right away, choose pest-resistant varieties when you're growing zucchini. Um, Stokes sells one called Black Beauty, which is an excellent zucchini. Um, There's one called Green Machine, which, again, is also a pest-resistant variety because you want to avoid things like vine borers. They're the ones that make the plants collapse. And, uh, and then there's, you know, other, other insects that get a hold of zucchinis and, and destroy them. So <clears throat> what I would suggest for the future, for anybody who's having issues with getting fruit off their squashes, whether it's a summer squash or a winter squash, plant lots of flowering herbs and annual flowers around the patch of vegetables. You need to attract pollinators. You need those insects flying around, going from flower to flower, and along the way, doing the pollination of your, you know, squash or zucchini flowers. Also, check your soil. Um, Zucchini like a soil that's fairly high in organic matter and a pH of about 6.5. So you can do an at-home soil test for pH pretty simply, and you can recognize organic matter. It should, you know, a good soil that's good for zucchini is what we call a crumbly soil. It's got a good smell, good earthy smell to it. You don't want some sort of um, just, you know, inert soil. You want living soil. Um, Avoid high nitrogen fertilizers because otherwise you're just going to get a lot of leaves. Uh, Use balanced organic fertilizers uh, always. Balanced, meaning the three NPK are balanced. Avoid drought. We can't do anything about the rain, but remember, one inch of water per week is required for your vegetables. So if we don't get rain, you're going to be watering that much. And then add mulch on top of the soil. Two to three inches of a organic mulch helps retain water. Um, and it goes without saying, lots and lots of sun, six to eight hours of sun. The, these are some tips for growing zucchini. So, Joe, hopefully, you, you know, if you haven't got those covered off, you can make them happen for next year. Right. Joe, just keep it in mind. Don't be a weenie. Eat your bikini. We're going to come back and say hi to Morag, who's calling in from Etobicoke next on the show. This is The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie, we're off to Etobicoke, where Mireg is online to ask a question. Good morning. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. Um, I'm calling about our grass, our turf, Charlie. 
no. disaster. It's like straw in some areas, uh, dying patches, and that keeps sort of spreading. Um, there's no clover, no weeds, no crabgrass, etc. Is this the signs of creeping bent grass? Can you tell us about creeping bent, what we've got? Hmm. Wait, so hold on. Yeah, just, I'm just trying to clarify. So it is, the grass is, looks like regular grass, but it's all turning yellow right before your very eyes? It's, yeah, I think it's, it, a lot of the grass is matted, and I think that, is that the sign of creeping bent? It's, it's like straw yeah. in the, the dead patch, like the dying patches, and that keeps sort of spreading and spreading. There's a big patch under a Japanese lilac tree, but it hasn't grown yeah. um, grass for a long time, and even it's spreading. So um, yeah. can you explain um, creeping bent, or can you come up with another solution? Or uh, well, I'm problem? wondering, could you have a thatch issue? Like, it's, how, is it a very old lawn? Yes, it was in the 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been there since. My husband dug it up about in the early two, uh, 15, 20 years ago, but I don't think there was Roundup at that time. And also, um, he should have used uh, vegetation killer, I guess, because it just sort of came back. And Charlie, what about slugs? Is that not, a possibility? Not, no? No, not in the grass so much. The slugs are a problem in a garden, particularly if it's raining a lot. Um, okay, I'm just trying to think. So, I mean... Hmm. So the creeping bent grass versus common bent grass is like two different plants, right? Oh. So um, <clears throat> let's just see. Golf you can pull course. it out with your hand, like, you know, pull it out with, in the roots with your hands in clumps. Yeah. Oh, oh, it almost sounds like crap. Is it a little bit purple at the bottom right now if you're out there in the little clumps? Got a bit of a red or a purple tinge to the green? Not that I know of. No. If it does, that's crabgrass. And yes, that no, is definitely no, worth pulling out. There's no uh, crabgrass. Uh, okay. I'd be surprised if you had creeping bent grass in your gar in your lawn. Um, see, you know what thatch is? Thatch is when we mow over years and years and years. We're mowing, and the blades that we mow off, the blades of grass, drop down. And if the soil is is not a very alive soil. There's not a lot of bacteria and fungi, et cetera, in the soil. Those blades of grass pile up on the surface of the soil, and we call it thatch. And when you get a thick layer of thatch, then you have no moisture getting through, and you've got, or very little moisture getting through, and insufficient air, and then the grass really starts to suffer. So bottom line is when you have any yellow happening at any time of year, get out a rake. Just give that lawn a good raking with a, like a fan rake, uh, whether it's spring or fall or even today, even though today's a very hot day. Rake out the dead stuff and then uh, look at what's going on in the soil. You may need to, again, always think about a soil test, a simple soil test with a kit you can pick up at your local Canadian Tire uh, just to double-check things like your pH, etc., you don't want to over-fertilize, but you do want to have soil that is alive. So you do want organic matter in all your soil, whether it's garden soil or lawn soil. And then um, I wouldn't be overseeding now just because it's a bit too hot and it's a bit early still in the, in the we're not quite at late summer. I'd wait another week or two. But if you can prepare the soil to be reseeded, you know, top-dressed and overseeded. Uh, I see no reason why you can't grow a good lawn where you've got some struggles going on right now. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's been very dry. And if it's a very old lawn, sometimes we just think fertilizer is the answer. But fertilizer is synthetic and it doesn't feed the soil. It strictly feeds the plant. So maybe it's time for you guys to feed the soil. Okay. Okay, well, the, the, the thatching 
the, with mm-hmm. the rake and a dethatcher, but you can't even get through. The, I'm sure the grass seed won't get through, so oh, you're thinking oh. you can separate it with the rake then or the th- dethatcher. Oh, absolutely. Get even a dethatching rake, which is different from a fan rake. Mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. Um, a, a thatching, dethatching rake is like, it's like a, a sharp rake, but it's literally sharp. Like, it's got blades, and that you're going to use that to slice through. Like, if it's really, really, you know, matted and nothing's going to get in there, no mm-hmm. water, no seed, you've got to open up all that, all that vegetation. If it's green and alive, it's not a problem. But if it's just dead and covering the soil, you've got to get that out of there. And, you might, like I said, you might have to buy a special rake. Well, to, Mira, to really... I, I, I hope that Charlie's been able to help you and his son. We, agree. we have to kind of move along to other yeah. questions from other uh, other folks. As a matter of fact, uh, Peter Quantz writes into Charlie and says, "Enjoy your show." A couple of weeks ago, I transplanted sections of two rose bushes. I did try to get enough of the roots for them to survive, but there's no new growth. All of the leaves and buds have dried up. I cut them off. Stock still looks healthy, but no leaves or new growth. Should I cut it back to encourage new growth? Any hmm. suggestions, Charlie? Right. So this is, a, to me, a very interesting question from Peter. Uh, thank you for sending this. What he's done, this idea of having a plant that you like and thinking, well, if I just use a sharp shovel and I cut that plant in half so that I've got stem and root on both chunks after I've separated the plant, I should be able to have two plants. And that does work with herbaceous perennials like hostas and daylilies and many of our our different uh, flowers and plants we grow in our gardens. But that does not work with roses. So severing a rose, whether it's with a saw or a shovel, is unlikely to work. I I understand the theory. He's got, he had some roots, he had some stem, he's he's planted them separately, but uh, all the leaves and buds dried up. He's cut that all off. Stock looks healthy, no leaves or new growth. Two things. One is, If he did this a couple of weeks ago, that's in July, so the hot, hot part of the the summer is not the time to be doing this to any plants. It's just too stressful for them. So if you want to try this severing idea, do it in spring or do it in the fall. That's number one. Number two, if he's done it already, yes. Cut it back uh, and don't try and give it a lot of fertilizer. He's looking for some new growth. When we do any separation or dividing of plants, we want all the energy to go into roots as the first growth, growth we will not see. So don't be frustrated if a plant is not, you know, showing a bunch of leaves and flowers within days of being severed uh, from, its, from its mate. Instead, uh, do everything you can to support root growth. So again, good soil. Sometimes people will use bone meal or a transplant or fertilizer just to encourage roots water thoroughly and cross your fingers but do avoid doing these super stressful things to plants when it's not a, a optimal time of year so like i said optimal is spring or fall only okay i have an email uh, here from patricia mclean says i have a hollyhock charlie what can i do about the leaves that are being eaten the flowers are better this year but they don't look nice should they uh, be cut down after they flower Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's interesting. So the, the, what Patricia's got is hollyhock rust. It is a fungal disease. And I think it was either last week or maybe the week before that we had quite a, a long answer to this question for another email. So a uh, suggestion, Patricia, would be listen to last week or the week before's podcast for full details on what to do with hollyhock rust. 
bottom line is there's not much you can do. You can't avoid those little holes in the leaves. They are not insects. It is a fungal disease. Uh, I love hollyhocks. I would definitely plant them. I would just plant mid-sized annuals or perennials in front of them so you don't see those god-awful-looking leaves because they're going to happen every year, whether you like it or not. Should you cut them down after they flower? Well, no, because remember, hollyhocks, you want them to seed. So you want to leave the flowers till they go to seed. And then you're right. Once the flowers have gone to seed, the seeds have dispersed, yes, you can cut them down. But, uh, but otherwise, do not um, cut them down until they've gone to flower. Because uh, hollyhocks are biennials. First year, they're little green plants. The next year, they're going to flower. And you want those flowers to go to seed and disperse seeds so you get more and more hollyhocks all the time. Okay, thank you very much. I hope that helped Patricia, who called in or sent that uh, email in to you. On the line from Cambridge is Lorraine. Hey, good morning, Lorraine. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Um, I have um, a, it was a Chinese willow that I've got rid of because it was just too huge and it, it, oh, going all over everywhere. Now, um, on either side of there, I have a dine bark and um, uh, a boxwood. Um, I was wondering which one of those could, should be best to move. The, nine, the, the boxwood looks really good. Um, the dine bark has lost uh, some of its branches, and I was wondering if I should um, trim those. Uh, um, if I move that one, should I trim it back? Uh, okay, so sorry, and it was a willow that was getting out of control? Yes. Have you removed it, or is it still there? Um, I've, I've removed it. Okay, so what's left behind are these two plants, the nine bark and the boxwood. Right. Is the nine bark one of the purple leaf varieties, or what is it? Yeah, what? something like summer wine or something. Right, because that, so, yeah. and how does it look? You said it's got a few dead branches, but does it have, um, are the leaves looking good, or are they the, all kind of fuzzy? No, the branches that have leaves are, uh, the leaves look good. Okay. Nine work uh, definitely uh, will benefit from trimming. The best time to prune it is right after it flowers. And as you know, nine bark blooms uh, mid-spring usually, like yes. June-ish, May or June. So that is your time to do whatever pruning you want to do. But at any time of year, you can remove dead stuff. So if you've got dead wood, dead branches of any kind on any plant, you can always go in and on a nice dry day with sharp pruners, remove anything that's dead. If you want to trim that nine bark now, you can. It will impact next year's flowers. That's all. It'll still be fine. It'll just, like I say, you have fewer flowers because that's what's happening right now is the flower buds are being grown now for next spring. Okay. Can I um, move it? Yeah, you can. How long has it been there? Uh, About five years. You can. I mean, don't do it today. It's a little too hot, a little too dry. Remember, transplanting is stressful. So try and wait till end of August and make sure that everything is nice and moist before you move anything. So you've got the, the new location ready to go with good soil, uh, good moisture in the soil, and back where you're digging this plant from, it's all nice and moist And because you're going to lose roots, right, when you do this trimming, right. sorry, this pruning, um, transplanting. So you're going to also have to trim back the top to balance out the fact that you've left behind a bunch of roots. 
right, Good stuff. Okay, thank you very thank much, Lorraine. Calling. Thank you for calling. And uh, to our emails, one boy, we've got a batch of emails, Charlie. Um, <laughs> we this, do. Indeed, we do. You do. I'm simply <laughs> trying to read them. Uh, okay, this is from uh, Z Marsden. Says uh, my question today is: I have a Saskatoon berry tree in my backyard. I think it needs a wee bit of cutting back, as it's grown almost to seven feet tall. I do get lovely berries when the birds decide to leave me some. Should I do it now or wait until the fall? Hmm. Right. So it's a good question because what, of course, what Z is growing is Saskatoon berry. We also refer to it as service berry, or its proper name is amelanchier. And it's a flowering shrub that produces berries after it flowers. So normally, like, like our, um, we are just talking to Lorraine, Nine bark is another example of a flowering shrub, and I mentioned that you cut it back after it flowers. If Z were to do that with this service berry or Saskatoon berry and cut it back after it flowers, then she's not going to get the berries she wants. So it's, it's that, you know, you, if you want fruit, you have to wait until the fruit is um, ripe and is ready to be harvested, which would mean pruning in late summer or early spring. Do not do any major pruning now because if there are berries, like imagine, um, just trying to think, her berries might have already uh, matured and been been eaten by the birds or eaten by her, or she may still have some on the, the plant. But I would let, let the plant grow if you have the space. Uh, if it's in a spot where it's really tight, then you're going to have to do some fairly serious pruning. Plan to do that maybe every fall and, and prune back what you need to. Again, it's going to cut back on some of your flowers and cut back on some of your berries, but at least the plant will stay under control and you can really see what you're doing in the fall. Um, best case, though, is let the plant be eight feet tall and six feet wide and let it be covered in flowers and berries, and then you and the birds don't have to fight so much for who gets what. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Z, for that question for Charlie. And we have to take a next uh, break here, Charlie. So fill up your coffee cup. and I know it's not a long walk from your office there to the kitchen. <laughs> and uh, fill up, have a little slurp, and we'll be back to have a word with Jane in Chatham here on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie, we're taking a little trip to Chatham to say hi to Jane. Good morning, Jane. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? Great. Did you ever work with um, McBride? I'm sorry? Did you ever work with McBride when you were in Chatham? Frank McBride? No, oh, no, I didn't. No, no I was, just wondered. I've always a long wanted to ask ago, you yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Frank. my clematis leaves are all eaten up. Mm. My hostas, different plants. Uh, I did spray with um, Endol. <coughs> How often should I keep doing this? Well, are you seeing anything doing that chewing? Not really. No way. Uh, okay. Are you checking during the day or just in the morning? When do you go out to look to see if it, what's eating your stuff? Sometimes it'll be late afternoon or evening. Yeah. Okay. Because um, uh, it has been, again, an, a year of Japanese beetles doing uh, quite a number on our gardens. They are not picky. They will eat anything. They'll eat flowers. They'll eat leaves. They'll eat, you know, they love roses, rose flowers particularly, but they'll eat just about anything. I'm wondering if it's something like that that's been doing the damage. 
They're kind of a big bug, aren't they? Pardon? They're a larger bug, though, aren't they? They are. They're very obvious. You can't miss them. They're good, almost yeah. a half an inch, shiny, like yeah. a piece of jewelry. Oh, no, I don't think pretty. it's that. No. There might be black spots on them, but nothing that I have noticed that has moved or anything like that. So you said clematis leaves and hosta leaves also? Yeah, yeah. And I get, you haven't been getting a lot of rain down there, have you, in the last week, couple weeks? No, no. You did a little a bit of... now and then, but nothing like July. Right. July, we all got lots of rain. Hmm. Um, see, the thing about an Endol product, Endol is a wonderful insecticide, but it's when you spray it, it works on contact. So you have to actually coat the insect in order for it to kill anything. To just spray a plant with Endol is, is not to actually change anything. That's an unfortunate reality. Um, hmm. There are some products, like see, uh, throughout this, this whole gardening season, I've been talking about BT. BT is a, a bacteria that comes in different formats and is used for different controls of different insects, but it's kind of cool because you don't have to actually touch the insect with the spray. You just get it on the plant, and then when the insect eats the plant, they die from the bacteria that's sitting on the leaves. Uh, there are for slugs, if you were worried about slugs maybe doing some of this damage, slug bait can be very effective, and again, that's a stomach poison, so that these slugs and snails will eat it and then die slowly but surely after a couple days. So that might be an idea around your hostas if there's some chance that it's slugs and snails doing that damage. Generally, though, um, earwigs, maybe earwigs are out at night. They do all their chewing at night so you don't see them during the day. You could set up a couple little earwig traps and see if you trap any earwigs because they eat in the dark. And as soon as the sun comes up, they go, they go for cover. They go into the dark. So just an empty... Um, like a bamboo pole that, you know, that's, that's hollow, like a straw. Anything that uh, earwigs can hide in, they will. If you put something out in your garden, and, but you have to check in the morning. So you have to see if there's any earwigs in your trap. If there oh, okay. are, then you know what you've got going on there. And there's no, no real way to control earwigs other than to trap them and then drown them. Oh, okay, yeah. Is, is bug tech or bug X any good for clematis? I've got three of them. on contact, similar to the Endol. It will work on contact, but it will not kill earwigs that are not on the plant, nor will it kill earwigs even on contact. So I mean for the clematis. Can I rub it with my fingers with the, the, the spray and get it on the leaves? Right, but it doesn't make the, it, it, will not, it won't protect the plant. It, you can do okay. it, but it won't protect the plant. Okay, it's a, it's a, and the clematis will come back next year, will it? Oh, absolutely. Yep, yep. Okay. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is earwigs causing the damage. Okay, so. well, I'll give that a try. Okay, yeah. thank you, Jane. Uh, and we have a, an email here from Elsa Hazlitt. She said, now there's a little involved here. She says, uh, we live in Oakville and have three brandywine tomato plants on our balcony, which we planted from seed in pots about 12 inches deep in good organic soil. They have flourished, lots of foliage, but no blossoms yet. But we also have heart, pardon me, ox heart tomato plant, which is producing fruit and lots of blossoms. We always remove the surplus foliage to give the plant more fruit-bearing strength. Can't understand why the brandywine plants are not producing fruit. What are we doing wrong? <laughs> okay, so this is from Austin and Elsa. So just right off the bat, don't blame yourself. Uh, you may not be doing anything wrong at all. 
Remember, all different tomato varieties, of which there are hundreds, they're all different in terms of when they flower, when they produce fruit, and when we harvest that fruit. So don't blame yourself. Uh, the Brandywine, which is a heritage variety, quite a popular heritage variety, it is quite famous for being a little bit of a, a um, picky plant. It does not like hot temperatures, and it does not like humid weather. So if where you live, you've been experiencing a fair amount of heat and humidity, that is slowing down your brandy wine. And, and that's not your fault. That's just the brandy wine doing its thing. So a couple of things you can do. Obviously, you want to keep that plant as cool as possible. Consider um, some kind of a mulch over the surface of the soil. It could be straw. It could be shredded newspaper. It could be, you know, a, a bark mulch, a crushed bark mulch. That will keep the soil a little cooler. It will also hold in the moisture. So if you do end up putting some, because you know, you're in the Oakville area, you probably are suffering with a lot of humidity. So just be careful if you do put this mulch on the plants that are out on your balcony. Um, check before you water. You won't water as much if you have that mulch on. And as we all know, uh, when we're in pots, we were watering every single day, if not even twice a day when they're not very big pots. So if you get that mulch on, uh, just water thoroughly as you've been doing, and then move the mulch before you water again. And, um, yeah, they sound like they're happy and healthy. Just cool them down, and I think you'll find they'll start to flower just fine. Okay, I'm sure you appreciated your advice there, Charlie. Uh, not time to take our last little break of the show. Uh, then we're going to come back to East York and say hi to Ethel here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. This is Zoomer Radio Toronto. CFZM FM and CFZM AM, owned and operated by MZ Media Incorporated. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie has promised we're off to East York to say good morning to Ethel. Good morning, Ethel. Nice to have you on the show. Uh, good morning. Morning. I'm kind of sad, ladies and gentlemen. I have a beautiful hedge, boxwood hedge around my fountain. Mm. And within two weeks' time, I lost them all. It's Ooh. all dried up. Mm. And I think this moth must have gotten into it. I think you're right. This is a new insect. Yeah. And uh, it's called the box tree moth. Uh-huh. And um, it's an invasive insect. It was just actually found in Toronto in 2018 in Etobicoke. Okay. And there's lots and lots of boxwood in Toronto, and it's obviously moving from Etobicoke into East York. I did get an email from a woman named Lil, and she's in North York, and oh, same thing. Got it, same thing. She's, her boxwood hedge that was 15 years old, has thrived for years and years, oh, yeah. looked great, and then all of a sudden shriveled, turned brown very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, just now, it's just a, a mess. It's a dead mess. It is a dead mess. But can I, if I, I'm thinking, if I cut it back all the way to the root system, would it come back or it's gone? I don't know. This, yeah. plant, this insect is too new for me to know exactly. And right now, <clears throat> like nobody really knows. It's, it's just the one suggestion, and you could write this down. This goes back to even our last caller was, BT, so BT is kind of my, my latest mantra now. BT stands for Bacillus 
thoragiensis. So all you got to remember is the letter B yeah. and the letter T. Uh-huh. But for this insect, the box tree moth, we would use BTK. And the BTK is available in every garden center and Canadian Tire or was, if it's not, like try and get it now so you're ready for next spring. Okay. Yeah, you would use the BTK in May and June. That's uh-huh. the first sign of chewing or contorted leaves, uh, assuming that those plants are alive. Yes, I would try cutting them back now. Okay. And of course, destroy, do not keep on the property what you cut off. Uh, yeah. Send it off to the, to the landfill. And, you know, just like cross your fingers and, and hope that they come back. They may not, and I would not replace the boxwood with more boxwood. No, no, um, no, I have no intention because I have about 40 bushes. You know, it's quite a, bit, quite a lot know, of bushes which I lost yeah. all around. It looks so nice and so impressive. <laughs> I was so yeah, proud of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, people do love their boxwood, and it's all over Toronto. There's no question. People love it. But I have a, an alternative for boxwood. It's yeah. called ink, inkberry. So I-N-K, like ink, berry is the common name, but it's actually a form of ilex or holly. Uh And uh, it's great. It's a really good alternative, and no box tree moths touch it. So if you are looking to set up a small little evergreen hedge uh, as much as three feet tall, then look for ink berry. That okay, sounds like a great suggestion, much. Charlie. Uh, and and then, we, we have to move along to our final caller. Thank you. Sorry, my love. Uh, thank you. Okay, that thanks. Was a good question. Thanks for calling you. Darren right it was. Sharon in Gravenhurst, where I bet it's a beautiful morning up there. Uh, welcome to the show, Sharon. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I'm phoning about a beefsteak tomato plant I have, and uh, I'm doubting the size of tomatoes if it is. But anyways, most of them are getting the black mark on them. And on, the t- on the tip, the bottom tip? Of the tomatoes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm wondering if and when they ever ripen, can I cut that block out and eat the t- rest of the tomato? No. No, okay. that once they get that, it's called blossom end rot. Yeah. Once they have that, it affects the whole tomato, the flavor. I mean, okay. it hurts you. It just won't taste good. Okay. All okay. right. Well, I guess the whole plant will be just... Uh, well, garbage. No, <laughs> no, what I would do is i take off any with the obvious black... Uh, you know, circle or circle where the blossom, where the little petals were, the flower petals. Compost those right away, and and concentrate on growing up what you've got that isn't got that problem because it's not like it's a disease that spreads from from fruit to fruit. What it is is it's a response by the plant to inconsistent watering. Okay. Right? So we've had some super dry, you know, last couple of weeks has been dry at my place. And, of course, you had tons and tons of rain in July. Yeah. I know all, all of cottage country was deluged, as they say. So you couldn't control all that water that was coming down when it was really coming down. But now that we're not getting that rain, you have to consistently maintain the moisture in the soil every single day. Are they in pots or in the ground? No, they're in uh, pots. Great. So there's that. It's really important that you are watering, checking every morning and watering as appropriate. It might be, you know, a couple of gallons in each pot, depending on the size of the pot, uh, every single day, likely. And of course, they should be in full sun, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the challenge in pots is that it, things do dry out sooner than they do in the ground. Okay. Thank All you right. very much. 
Thank you for giving us a call. And uh, Charlie, always delighted to hear from our listeners, of course. And uh, might I just suggest you grab a pen and piece of paper and jot down Charlie's email address Mm -hmm. because we, we, uh, the the royal we, uh, get get a lot of uh, mail from our folks. So here it is. It's c.dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. We're just about out of time on the show here, but... Frankie, I just wanted to say, I alluded to the podcast. Yes. So it might be worth just reminding people how they can listen to shows from the past, where there's all kinds of great information. Zoomerradio.ca. Go there online, and uh, you'll find podcasts right in there. Right. And then go down to the particular date you want and replay the show. That's right. All the many shows are podcasts, but the Garden Show is obviously the most popular. And, <laughs> and there's there's an archive of like 13 years of, of shows. You know, there's lots and lots of archives there. So do do you know if you've got a rainy day or you're lying in the tub and you want to listen to something interesting, listen to the Garden Show via podcast from am740.ca or even on iTunes because we are that cool. Very good, Charlie. Excellent, (laughs) excellent advice. Thank you very much, my love. Thank you so much, Frankie. Take it easy. Uh, You know, get some sleep. I know that's been a bit of a challenge. Yep. (laughs) Mindfulness. Be mindful. Look look for ways to empty the, the mind. Come and help me pull weeds. Oh, yeah, that, that invitation. I've heard that before. <laughs> it's working for Elliot. He just has bad dreams. <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling more weeds. <laughs> exactly. The weeds are, are encroaching into our bedroom in his, in his mind. So thanks again, Frankie. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks to all our great callers and emailers. Keep it up. Keep it coming. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.